On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, Ketchikan's new superintendent lays out his plan for his first few months leading the school district. Plus, starting this Saturday, Alaskans can reach a suicide prevention hotline by calling 988. And boy, is it tough to get a bat out of a Sitka house. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. For tonight, rain with lows in the mid-50s, southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. Tomorrow, more rain, highs around 60, southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Friday night, rain likely with lows in the mid-50s and light winds. On Saturday, cloudy with highs in the mid-60s and light winds. Saturday night, mostly cloudy, lows in the mid-50s and light winds. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Ketchikan's school board heard from the district's new superintendent on Wednesday. Michael Robbins delivered his first report as the district's new top administrator after taking over for interim superintendent Melissa Johnson on July 1st. Robbins outlined a three-part plan for his first 100 days as superintendent. First, he says he's meeting with school staff, labor groups, and outside organizations to get up to speed. He told the board he's also looking at academic performance metrics. I've also had a chance to, and I think I put this in the transition plan, is look at a lot of our data um, and kind of start to make decisions based on some of the things that we saw. I've been working with our te uh, technology department to kind of pull some of that, and um, I think that that's going to make – we already do that a little bit now, but I think we're going to try to do that a little bit more just to try to target some of those kids. By the end of his first 100 days in October, Robin says he plans to issue a written report outlining some of the changes he plans to make to improve student achievement. School Board President Stephen Bradford praised Robbins for his work to date. It's obvious that you your feet were running before you even touched down and uh, we appreciate that, that effort and that uh, that dedication and focus that you're showing to our school district so far. Another business, Ketchikan's school board unanimously approved a revised set of goals for the coming school year. The board's edits to the priority setting document were largely minor, for example splitting a two-pronged goal to communicate with the public and ensure diverse representation on district committees. The board also voted to work with Ketchikan's tribe to pursue special teaching credentials known as Type M certificates for Alaska Native cultural instructors in addition to Native language teachers. The board also unanimously approved a roughly $380,000 contract with a Palmer-based firm to upgrade the sound system in Ketchikan High School's auditorium. The district's maintenance director told the board the work is expected to get underway this fall, though he said some networking components may be delayed by supply chain issues. Alaskans will soon be able to reach a suicide prevention hotline by calling a three-digit number. Starting this Saturday, calls and texts to 988 from a 907 area code will go to the Caroline, Alaska's suicide hotline. It's part of a national effort to, to establish one suicide hotline number across the country. Crisis counselors with the Caroline provide confidential support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're also trained to help people of all ages, including non-English speakers, veterans, and people who are deaf or hard of hearing. In Alaska in 2020, suicide was the leading cause of death for Alaska Native youth aged 10 to 19 and for youth aged 10 to 14. Suicide was the second leading cause of death overall for Alaskans aged 15 to 34 in 2020, that's according to the state health department. Alaskans will still be able to reach the care line at 877-266-HELP. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is still 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255. Southeast Alaska is home to at least six wild bat species, and maybe more. The nocturnal mammals are not often seen, that is, unless they've made a home out of your warm, inviting attic. But if that happens, getting them out can be quite the challenge, as KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. 
We'll have this little baby squealing mayday by midnight. All right, let's split up. There's a famous scene in the 1988 summer sleeper, The Great Outdoors, when John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, armed with tennis rackets and fishing nets, try to catch a bat that's loose in their rustic lakeside cabin. It's complete chaos until the bat finds a spot to land. He's on my face! He's on my face! It's all fun and games on the silver screen, but for Carrie Fenton, the experience is more than familiar. I woke up one morning um, in September 2020 with a bat on my face. Fenton is a former Jesuit volunteer from Long Island, New York, and that's where she first learned about bats through local bat revitalization programs. She went to college in New Orleans, the definitive vampire capital of the U.S., and then she lived in Montana for a year, where she became accustomed to all kinds of wildlife. Rattlesnakes, mountain lions, bears. She even found a colony of bats in her big sky country home. I had a very relaxed attitude about them coming to Sitka because I had lived for a year with bats and we could hear them kind of crawling around in the ceiling and crawling around in the walls and we would see them all the time outside at night, you know, swooping around. It was about 5 a.m. on the morning when Fenton discovered the first bat in her house in Sitka. My first thought was I had like brushed this like furry thing off of my face and I was like, oh, there's a mouse in the house. And I rolled over and it was flying. I was like, oh my gosh, no, it's a bat. So she called the nurse helpline at the local hospital and they told her she needed to come in right away. So I had to go through the rabies shots, which was not fun. And I got to the hospital and the nurses there were like, are you sure it was a bat? I don't think we have bats in Sitka. There are actually several types of bats in southeast Alaska. We have six resident species, um, and then we have a seventh that we've recorded acoustically, but we've never captured or had any further documentation of. So, yeah, quite a few. Karen Blavis is a wildlife biologist with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, working in their Threatened, Endangered, and Diversity program. For the last 10 years, her work has focused primarily on the bat populations in southeast Alaska. I loved studying bats because their behavior in southeast Alaska is so different. Each fall, bats swarm, mate, and then go into hibernation. They emerge in the spring from their hibernation sites and move to form maternity colonies, settling in warm environments where their pups will have the greatest chance to thrive. That's what Fenton was most likely experiencing in the spring of 2021, around half a year after she spotted the first bat. And we started seeing them more on the porch, flying around at night. Um, we started finding, like, poop in the house, on the porch all the time. And we realized, like, oh, actually, there's a lot of bats living here. But once there's a maternity colony nesting in your house, the real journey begins. It's illegal to kill bats. And Blavis says extermination is not an effective way to deal with them anyway. The bats present in a home on any given night are just a fraction of the total number of bats using the space. The females even switch roosts periodically during the summer, so there's constant turnover. Really, the only way, if you don't want them in your house, is to physically exclude them. And um, that can be challenging depending on how the house was constructed because um, bats uh, need only three-eighths of an inch uh, of a gap to, to crawl in. 
Last summer, Fenton tried to start that exclusion process with a pest removal company in Ketchikan, but at the time, they weren't traveling due to the pandemic. That left Fenton with one option, seal up the house herself once the bats left to hibernate and hope they didn't come back the following spring. But as the summer's warmth returned, the bats moved back in. And now she's couch surfing. It's definitely frustrating. Um, <laughs> my landlord's been pretty supportive, though, and she's waived my rent. Um, and I definitely really appreciate that. She says the pest control crew and the Alaska Department of Fish and Game have been very helpful. In June, the pest removers came to Sitka and surveyed her house with plans to seal up more potential entry points. She says she's glad that protections exist to keep bats safe, but she wishes there were more resources to support renters and homeowners in her situation. Bats are really incredible creatures, but I'm looking forward to the day when I don't live with them and they're not my roommates. (laughs) Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Recent statewide polling indicates that Sarah Palin may not have as much traction as expected in the race to fill Don Young's seat in Congress. And likewise, a decision by a top contender to leave the race could prove advantageous to Palin's Democratic challenger. KSDAW's Robert Wolsey reports. Ivan Moore's Alaska Survey Research released the results of the poll on Thursday. Most of the 1,200 people polled did not identify with any political party, while among the rest, about twice as many people identified as Republicans as compared to Democrats. Over three-quarters of respondents were white, and just over one in ten were native. The age of respondents was fairly evenly distributed from 25 to over 65. Large majorities of respondents said they were certain to vote in the August 16th special election and in the November general election. So, based on polling data, Who will they vote for? Despite coming in first in the special primary, Sarah Palin was not widely supported in the poll. In fact, she showed pronounced negative favorability of almost 44 percent. That put her behind both Democrat Mary Peltola by 11 points and one point behind Republican Nick Begich III in the first round of a speculative ranked-choice ballot, which Alaskans will be using for the first time in the special election on August 16th. In a second round, with Palin eliminated, respondents gave Alaska's vacant congressional seat to Begich with 57 percent of the vote. That Peltola, a former legislator from Bethel, could shove a former governor off a ranked-choice ballot is, according to a recent commentary in the nonpartisan Alaska Beacon, a massive shift in the dynamics of both the special election and the primary election caused by the withdrawal of Al Gross, whose supporters now shift support to Peltola. Gross has said nothing about his decision to drop out of the race on June 20th other than to endorse either of the two Alaska Native women running, Peltola or Republican Tara Sweeney, who finished fifth in the special primary. After a court ruling, Sweeney won't be able to move up into the fourth-place spot on the special election ballot, but she's filed to run in the regular primary, which will be held the same day. Assuming she's one of the top four finishers moving into the general election in November, Alaska survey research shows a similar result. Voters preferring Peltola, Begich, Palin, then Sweeney in the first round. Sweeney drops off the bottom, leaving Peltola, Begich, and Palin— Palin drops off the bottom, and Begich wins the seat with 56% of the vote. 
Respondents were more predictable in some of the other big races in the state. They retained Lisa Murkowski as Alaska's senior U.S. senator, and Governor Mike Dunleavy wins re-election to a second term as challengers Les Guerra and Bill Walker evenly split the opposing vote. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get this show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We will be back tomorrow. I'm Eric Stone.